remains a sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour, devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which you, have, which you were illuminated. You endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle both to reproaches and tribulations and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Father, we pray for your spirit to just bless us in this moment. For these next few moments, can we be attentive to your word? Would you teach us what the scripture says, that we might be obedient? That's our goal, not just to have a head knowledge but to have the knowledge and the ability to use it in our lives. Now, Father, we know all this will be in vain unless your Spirit teaches us, unless your Spirit enables us to receive this. We yield ourselves to you and we ask you that you would do your work in our hearts. None of us are worthy. But, Lord, because of your blood... We have the ability. We have the freedom that's in you. We can walk in your spirit. We can be led by your spirit. We can live in the spirit. Father, help us. Help me, I pray, this morning to teach this word for your honor and your glory. Lord, we always ask there's one here that's not saved, that he or she would come to faith in you this morning, believing in what you did on the cross of Calvary, forsaking all of their attempts at being righteous, and simply repenting and believing in you. Thank you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, and amen. You may be seated. This text has been a proof text throughout the years 
uh, for some who believe that one can lose his salvation. And many people, because of this passage, doubt the doctrine of eternal security. Is that what this passage teaches? Does this passage teach that you can come to the place in your life where you can willfully sin and, and you just don't want to be part of, of, of Christ's family anymore? You want to walk away and you deliberately and willfully want nothing to do with it and you die and go to hell. Is that what this passage is teaching? Is, that, is this passage teaching that one can lose his salvation by deliberately rejecting and willfully sinning? Let's start in the beginning and let's work through and let's let the text, no matter what we've heard, no matter what our Bible commentary says, no matter any of those things, let's look at what the Word of God says. Let's let the Word of God in its pure, unadulterated language guide our thoughts and teach us this morning. Verse 26, For if we sin willfully... Now, I have to tell you, some people... There are two different interpretations of this. Some people believe that the people he's talking about are not genuinely saved. Sure, they went along with the church and did all this, but they were not genuinely saved. Well, I find that that's not so. How do I know that? Well, there's a number of reasons why I believe these people are believers. First of all, he says we. The writer would not include himself into someone that was not regenerated. Someone that was not born again. So it's obvious that he links with the personal pronoun we, himself and this group of people together, and that they are in fact believers in Christ. Secondly, uh, it, uh, we would say that these people in verse number 29 were sanctified. They were sanctified. In verse 32, we find that these people were illuminated, and at one time they were persecuted for their faith. So there's overwhelming evidence that he is speaking to and about believers. He's talking to save people. So then the other people come along and says, well, it's obvious that if he's speaking to save people and they're willfully, deliberately going to sin, then they can lose their salvation. Is that what he's teaching here? That's not what he's teaching here. And I want to show you what I believe he is teaching us in this text. Notice with me in verse 26, for if we sin willfully, what does this willfully mean? Willfully means uh, deliberately. Deliberately. Thayer's Greek lexicon says this, to sin willfully is tactically opposed to sins committed inconsiderately and from ignorance or from weakness. So in other words, what he is saying here is, this is not someone who is a believer in in Christ who has stumbled in his faith, who has fallen into sin, who is weak and has uh, been caught up in temptation and fallen into sin. That's not what he's talking about. It is directly opposed to that. He is talking about someone who deliberately sins. Jody Dillo says this in his book, uh, The Reign of the Servant Kings, which is a marvelous book if you can ever get it. It's about this thick. And it deals with all these passages. He says this, It is probable that he has a particular sin in view, the sin of not holding fast our confession, which he just warned about in chapter 10 and verse 23. Remember in 10.23 he said, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without 
wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. So I don't believe that he is teaching that one can lose his salvation. I think what he is teaching is he's warning about the sin of apostasy, the deliberate apostasy of the rejection of your confession of faith. Now, some people would come, the second group would come along and say, See, I told you, that means you can lose your salvation. You can say, I don't believe this or want this anymore. One of the critics of people that, uh, that don't, do not believe in eternal security have of us, one of the criticisms, I should say, of us is they say that what happens to this person if he, he believes in Jesus, he was saved, and then he comes and says, I don't want to participate in this anymore. I don't want to be part of this anymore. I'm walking away from it. I don't believe it. I don't care. I'm walking away from it. They say he can lose his salvation. Well, let me just share with you what the Scripture says in its context here, and then we'll readdress that at the end and see if, in fact, that's what the Scripture is teaching us. Notice what he says. He said, For if we willfully sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now, what are the consequences of this one who deliberately, willfully sins? Well, first of all, he says there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. The sacrifice of Christ no longer protects him from the judgment of God. See, in the day that we live in, we don't want to talk about the judgment of God. We don't want to think about that, that, that God still judges sin and He deals with sin even in the life of believers. So let's look at his argument here. He takes us back to the Old Testament passages because it's important. He says that, <clears throat> listen, in the Old Testament sacrifices, in Numbers chapter 15, this is fresh in my mind because I'm reading through the book of Numbers in my daily Bible reading. In, in uh, Numbers chapter 15, verses 27 and 29, there were sacrifices provided for unintentional sin. When someone fell into sin, they were to take these sacrifices. However, in the Old Testament system, for a believer to willfully, willfully, deliberately sin, there was no sacrifice. There was no sacrifice for that protection. No sacrificial protection was provided. Now, I would like for you to turn with me to Numbers chapter 15, and it'll be on the screen. But I, I would challenge you, if you're able, get familiar with turning in your Bible and keep those pages turning. You know, I'll tell you this. This is a footnote. This is just a little side uh, thing here, and this is the way ADH works, whatever it is. Um, sometimes that screen will come in here, and everything is perfect, and it'll glitch. And I just still believe the devil is going to try everything to keep us from growing in our faith. So Numbers chapter 15 and verse 30, and my point is if you have your Bible and you open your Bible, you don't have to worry about a glitch on the screen, right? Amen. All right. Numbers 15, 30. But the person who does anything presumptuously, whether he is native born or stranger, that brings reproach on the Lord, and he shall be cut off from among his people. Because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be upon him. So when the person, and this word presumptuously is a two-word meaning in Hebrew, it says, with a high hand. 
This was used in context of a person acting in deliberate presumption, pride, and disdain. And in the Old Testament, when a man sinned like this, there was no sacrificial protection from the judgment of God. You know what the the law said? Kill him. Kill him. What kind of judgment was he talking about? Cut off. Cut off meant death. This phrase cut off is often used of capital punishment or severance from the community of faith. But never is this word ever used of eternal hell. It was used of a judgment in time at that place. They were to die. So when the writer speaks of the consequences of willful sin... He means that there is no sacrificial protection from the temporal consequences of sin. He has the judgment of God in time. Not eternity, but in time. Right then, right there. That's the context of the Old Testament. And why does the writer refer to the contextual Old Testament to to bring back some total different thought? He's not. He is teaching us. Look at the next verse. He says, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law, what? What's the next word? Dies. He dies. The context of Hebrews 10 is about the application of Christ's death to sins for the temporal, not the eternal forgiveness. He has already said that these people have been sanctified. He's already said that they have been, uh, God would remember their sins no more. They are perfected. Now to say that they were going to hell would contradict himself. If he has said that they are perfected forever, and then in the next breath he turns around and says they're going to die and go to hell, then he has contradicted himself. So it's clearly not what he's saying. What he is saying is the believer who sins, who sins willfully is out from under the protection of the blood of Christ for that temporal judgment of God on their life right then and there. Let me give you an illustration of this. There's a man, and this man, um, he, he drank excessively all of his life. He claimed to be a believer in Christ, and he drank, and in his alcoholism, he ended up destroying his liver, and he ended up dying a slow, painful death. He took himself, by willfully sinning, out from under the protection of the blood of Christ, temporal, right here and now. Does that mean that he went to hell? No, that does not. If he was born again, he's going to heaven. Born again people only go to heaven. But what he is teaching us is, right here, right now, is that there are consequences in time, which means now, for willfully deliberately sinning. The believer who sins today through ignorance, the believer who struggles with a particular sin and uh, seeks uh, forgiveness but yet falls back into it, seeks forgiveness, he's still covered under the protection of the blood as long as he's confessing and repenting. But the one who willfully does so, takes himself, he steps out from under the protection of the blood of Christ on this earth, in this time that he's living, and he willfully submits himself to the judgment 
of God. And let me just tell you, that judgment can include death or worse. You say, what could be worse than death? Let me tell you something. There, is, there are things worse than death. There are things far worse than death. The writer says there's only one thing left for this person that does that. A fearful expectation of the judgment. What kind of judgment is in view? A fiery indignation. Just because you see the word fiery, everybody assumes and thinks it's hell. But if you study the word fire, fire was judgment. It means judgment throughout all the scriptures. In the Old Testament, it meant judgment. This is a quote from Isaiah 26.1, which refers to the physical destruction of Israel's enemies in that time, not in eternity, right then and there. And the writer's pulling this, and the writer is telling us this. Listen, he is showing us that when one willfully, deliberately sins, he is bringing himself under the judgment of God. Now, notice he says this. Verse 29. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? What is this more severe punishment than he's talking about? He's talking about a even worse, even worse punishment than physical death. Uh, if I may go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. How many of you remember a guy named Saul? He was a king, right? He, he was a king. He was anointed by God and he was a king. But you know, Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 14 and 15, Saul, his fate was far worse than death. He became mentally depressed, consumed with hatred, and he wanted to die. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 14 and 15, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. They sought all kinds of means to relieve that trouble. They brought David in and all the skillful musicians and had them to play. And he couldn't play. He couldn't, they couldn't lift his spirits. Why? Because he loathed, he loathed life. He wanted to die. He was miserable. He was tormented in his emotions. He was tormented in his mind. There is a more severe punishment. That severe punishment could be a prolonged illness. There's a more severe punishment than death. The modern example, a drunk driver hit and killed some people. He was a believer in Jesus Christ. He now sits in a prison. He lives in a prison physically, and he lives in a prison mentally every day of his life because he deliberately, willfully sinned. And he moved himself out from under the protection of God's and he, God, and he faces the judgment of God. And every day in that cell, he wishes he would die to be let go from that mental anguish. There are more things more severe than dying. 
If you've ever been with someone who's dying, and I'm not saying all sin and all sickness and all illness is sin. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying in the case when it is, it is horrific. It is horrific. You remember David and Bathsheba? And David willfully sinned. You know what happened to David? His family was a mess. He lost the baby that he conceived with Bathsheba. His kids were a wreck. One of his sons raped his daughter. The other son killed that son. One son wanted to dethrone him, wanted to take his kingdom. And he got hung by his hair, the locks of his hair, in a, in a, in a tree. And he was killed brutally, stabbed, plunged, plunged, plumbed through him. The anguish that David went through because of sin. When I was growing up, there was a preacher who preached a message, and there's been several preachers that preached it. And I'll never forget it. It's one of those sermons you keep in all of your life. He said, sin will take you further than you're willing to go. It'll cost you more than you're willing to pay, and it'll make you stay longer than you're willing to stay. I remember those three points of that. Sin is not a game. And you can be a believer in Christ, and you can face judgment in time, right now, while you're alive, because you deliberately and willfully sin. Look at the seriousness of this step that he says. There are three things he says in verse 29 that the person that does this has done. Number one, he tramples the Son of God underfoot. Now, he doesn't obviously trample on God or the Son of God. But it means to walk all over. It means to disrespect the Son of God. How many of you ever heard this? You're not going to walk all over me, right? You understand that phrase and what it means. It's a serious thing to disrespect the Son of God. Number two, he said he counts the blood of the covenant a common thing. It treats the shedding of Christ's blood as no big deal. And the third thing he says, oh, by the way, let me just say that. It counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, which means that believers can do this. The third thing is it insults the spirit of grace, taking the grace of God for granted. Now listen, what are the results? Look at this, look at verse 31, or verse 30, I'm sorry. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay the Lord, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge who? His people. His people. Judgment in time, not in eternity. In time. The Lord will judge. You might be sitting here saying, well, so-and-so's doing this, and they claim to be a believer, and so-and-so's doing this, and they claim to be a believer. Well, let me just tell you something. God's going to take care of it. Vengeance is His, says the Lord. He will repay. That's not an excuse for us to do whatever we want to do. We have to make sure that we, in fact, are remaining faithful and true to Him. Secondly, he says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
See, one of the problems with our land today, and it's even creeping into our church, is we no longer fear God. You look in the Old Testament passages of Scripture, anyone that encountered God, it was an awesome thing. It was awesome. The sheer terror and fear of the Lord, we've lost that. We've lost our awe and our respect and our reverence and our fear of God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I don't know what it is about humanity that thinks that they can laugh and scoff God and they can and uh, mock God and they can turn from God and think that they're going to be just fine. Let me just tell you something. God is not mocked. And he may not in that instant when someone stands up and, and, and challenges God, he may not in that instance judge them, but they will face his judgment. God's not reactionary. God's not going to say, because you did this, I'm going to do this. God has a plan, and he knows, and he's always in control. And we're always out of control. But God is always in control. Look at verse 32 and following, the exhortation to endure. The danger facing them was that they could lose their reward, not their salvation. How am I going to show you that? Watch this. Verse 32, but. But is contrast. We've been talking about the one who willfully, he is willfully uh, sins. And now he says, but in contrast to that, recall the former days in which you were illuminated. You endured a great struggle with sufferings. History tells us that at the time of this writing, there were a big contingency of people in the Hebrew church that because of persecution that was coming to them, they were being tempted to denounce Christianity and go back under the umbrella of Judaism so they would be relieved from the persecution. So the writer looks at them and says, listen, don't do that. The one that does that faces certain judgment in time. Don't do that. Remember Remember when you were enlightened. Remember when you were converted. There was a great struggle with sufferings, and you endured that. You've done it once. You can do it again. Don't quit. Verse 33, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, past tense, you were a spectacle because of the reproaches against you and the tribulation that came upon you, because of your faith in Christ, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated, part of it was because of your testimony and, and, and your faith in Christ, and part of it was you joined yourself to those who were suffering and those who were uh, of the faith. You see, we know nothing about suffering in our day. We think that somebody says something about us and, oh, we're suffering and so tr- tribulations. When's the last time you were beaten because of your faith? We get all upset when someone gets on television and says something about Christianity. We're all bent out of shape. If you know, if we just lived like Christ wants us to live, if we just lived in the Spirit, people would see Christ in us and we wouldn't have to try to so vehemently defend our faith. We'd just live our faith out in front of people and that would be the best defense available. They were returning 
They were wanting to turn because of this persecution that was coming for them. Verse 34, you had compassion on me and my chains. Incidentally, this is why, and there's a lot, there's a plethora of, of, of people that believe different ideas about who wrote it. I believe the Apostle Paul because of this, this passage here. For you had compassion on me in my chains. And joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have had a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Paul's saying you remember, or the writer I should say, because I can't prove that. That's just my thought. But the writer says, listen, you had compassion on me. And you accepted the plundering of your goods when they came and they took everything away from you because of your faith. Knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, therefore, because of that, number one, do not cast away your rewards. Do not throw away your rewards. I've had people tell me, verse 35, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great rewards. Do not throw away your confession. Do not throw away your faithfulness. Do not throw all that away because there's a great reward for you. I've had people tell me, I don't believe in that reward thing. You, you think, you, you, you know, if you get to heaven, getting to heaven is going to be enough. You say that here, but you're not standing before Christ. When you stand before Christ, everything changes. Do not cast away. Do not throw away your rewards. When you and I stand before Him at the Bema seat, that judgment, we will be judged on our works, whether good or bad, for a reward or a loss of reward. Not salvation. Salvation was settled at the cross. The one who willfully and deliberately sins after they have received the knowledge of truth they forfeit their rewards and they bring themselves out from under the protection of the temporal uh, protection, sacrificial protection of the judgment of God. They bring themselves out and they open up the judgment of God. But you don't have to be that way. Don't throw away your rewards. Rewards are a big deal. Paul wrote about it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he wrote about it extensively. And he encourages us to understand that there are rewards. And what we do in eternity, what we do in the kingdom, matters what we do here. The rewards we have here, that we earn here by serving the Lord, carries into eternity. And it is a big deal. When you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and you have no rewards, they're all stripped away. Secondly, he says this, verse 36, For you have need of endurance. You know what the church needs? We need endurance. I'll just be honest with you. The day we live today... We look for excuses to get out of serving the Lord, to get out of going to church, to get out of 
witnessing. We look for excuses so that we don't have to do things. We don't have to. Endurance receives the reward. I have a friend who decided he was going to run a marathon two weeks before the marathon started. He hadn't, re- hadn't run prior to that. He ran the marathon, but he lost every toenail he had. He couldn't walk for a week, and uh, he did not win a reward. He finished. Some people think that might be his reward. But I will tell you this. I've never met someone who is sincere, who's going to run a race or participate in anything and says, oh, I'm just looking to finish today. If you're a competitor, you want to be on that podium. If you're a competitor, you want a medal around your neck. You want a reward for the effort that you have given. Why is it not the same in the work of the Lord? Why are we not encouraging each other to endure more? Why are we not encouraging each other to serve the Lord more as the world gets worse? We ought to be doing more for Christ. Why do we have to start making excuses for each other on why we're not serving the Lord and why we're not worshiping the Lord and why we're not doing this, that, or the other? I'll tell you why. Because it all comes back to we've lost our awe for the Lord Jesus Christ and for God. A-W-E. That's a hillbilly way of saying it. I can't say it the way that the proper people say it. We've lost our awe for God. His awesomeness. You need it. You need it. I'm going to tell you this as your pastor, and I tell you this out of love. You need church more than the church needs you. You need your brothers and sisters in here more then they need you. Now that's flip around too, so we all need each other. You need to serve the Lord more than the Lord needs you to do any service. God could do whatever He wants. He could snap His finger and all the work would be done. But He's chosen to work through us. You need to worship the Lord more than the Lord needs to be worshipped. The Lord doesn't need anything. He's not a man. And the devil will try to convince you that in this day of age of grace... You can be slack. You don't have to worship. You don't have to endure. You don't have to do anything. After all, you're saved by grace. You can just sit back and relax and enjoy the fruit of being a believer in Jesus Christ. But the writer says, oh, no, 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 no. You need to endure. You need the fight. You need the battle. You need teachers to prepare your lessons and stand before your class and teach them. Praise team, you need to lead us to worship. Awana workers, you need to be in that kitchen serving those kids. Working in game time. When church camp comes, you need to be out there sweating. It's good for you. We live in a soft age. Ask some of the senior saints in here, and they'll tell you, back in the day, they didn't have air conditioning. And they had outhouses. We got indoor plumbing, hallelujah. I don't know about that, but hallelujah. Who wants to go to the outhouse and looking for a snake everywhere you go at night? Listen, 
You need to be working in VBS more than VBS needs you. Why? Because it's all part of your endurance as a believer in Jesus Christ. And I will tell you this, the first time you miss, it bothers you. The second time you miss, it bothers you. The third time you miss, it doesn't bother you as bad as it did the first time. And then the excuses start adding up, and then it doesn't bother you at all. And you stop. For you need, for you have need of endurance. Why? So that after you have done the will of God, it takes endurance to do the will of God. You don't do the will of God by happenstance. You deliberately do the will of God. And it takes endurance. So that when you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. What's the promise? The inheritance. What's the inheritance? It's the reward. What's the reward? You serve with Him in the kingdom. It reminds me of the disciples fighting. One one to sit on the left hand, one one to sit on the right hand. They won that place of prominence. And we're very critical of them. But would to God we had some men and women that wanted that today. Would to God we had some men and women said, I want to be right there serving with the king. I want to be right there with him. And I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to endure so that I have that promise that I'm serving alongside of Jesus Christ. I would say, lastly, failure to endure displeases the Father. Look at verse 37. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Failure to endure displeases the Father. Listen, I I remember one time, and I forget the name, but it so moved me. There's a man who had a son who was handicapped. And he realized that his son would never be able to participate in any of the races, never be able to run. And so this man decided that he was going to enter and uh, this, this race where they bike, they swim, and uh, the triathlon, they, they run. And he had a special wheelchair made for his son. And he took his son in that wheelchair. And he would run with him. He had a special thing made for his bike. That his son could ride in the bike. And he put his son in a raft. And he put the raft around him. And he swam with his son. And he competed in all these. There's a YouTube video. You can watch it. It's very moving. And I noticed that in that, the father's doing all the work. And he passes the finish line. And his son is so elated, he throws his fist up in the air as he passes the finish line. That, my friends, is a picture of what God does for us. If we would but yet yield ourselves, He will carry us through this life. He will do all the work through us. And when we cross over, we get the reward. 
And all he's asked us to do is be faithful. Be faithful to endure. Because that endurance pleases the Father. We're not of those who draw back. But those who believe to the saving of the soul. This whole passage was not about someone losing their salvation. It was a warning to the people of God that the people of God can in fact, they can in fact deliberately sin. And when they sin, they take themselves temporarily out of the protection, the sacrificial protection of Christ, and place themselves under the judgment of God in that moment. And God will judge in that moment. But here's the beautiful thing. We don't have to do that. By faith, we can trust in the Lord and the work He does in us and through us to persevere to the end. What we need are some men and women who will stand up for the glory of God unashamedly and say, I'm going to finish strong. I'm not going to quit. The days that I feel like that I'm unappreciated, the days I feel like that I'm not going to serve, nobody notices it, it's not worth it, those are the days especially I'm going to be more zealous for Christ and His work. I'm not going to let the devil, I'm not going to let the devil pull me into that. That's what we need. And that's what you and I can have. Father, we love you. We praise you this morning.